This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people are saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Ferro and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAV Digital Radio. It's just gone 5pm alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow here in New York where it's very, very quiet, Guy, ahead of a holiday tomorrow and payrolls Friday. It is quiet. There's some interesting things going on, though, aren't there? I appreciate that. Volumes are definitely down. Um, And we're going to be getting, obviously, the equity market closing in an hour later. We get the bond market closing. Um... But there's some crazy things happening in the bond market. Oh, especially in Europe. And you and I have I, gone back and forth about Italy. Italy, for me, front and centre, massive moves in Italian bond yields. Yeah. I, we're now trading under 200 bips over Germany today on the 10-year. I, wow, really? That's incredible. And the, Italian, and the Italian bond market feeds into the Italian banks, which feed into the FTSE MIB. Um, it, like, so the FTSE MIB's up by over 2% at the close. We're down 25 uh, basis points on 10-year paper. In Italy today, and I just wonder, guy, whether today, the leadership, I, whether the leadership contest in in Europe through the week has moved the Italian bond market in more ways than one. That it's not just about Lagarde. There is a conspiracy theory out there that perhaps the Italians managed to come to an agreement with other European leaders to get the Commission to back off over the debt issue. I like that. I like that. Do you like I, but that it theory? Does, but it, it, that kind of works for me. So I also like the idea that um, the Lagarde is perceived as a safe pair of hands. If Italy goes wrong, I. She's a pretty. She knows how the plumbing works in terms of European politics to make it kind of be manageable, um, and I kind of and I kind of get that feeling that that that's part and parcel of this narrative as well. I, I, she's got a she's got a big job on her hands. Wow, massive! It's going to be absolutely crazy. I think the next few years. Let's let's talk about that in detail in a few moments' time. Let's get some headlines now with Charlie. Hi, thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Some of the stories that we're following today: Boeing says it will offer a hundred million dollars to support the families of victims and others affected by the recent crashes of its 737 Max jetliner. Boeing says that money will go toward quote education, hardship and living expenses for impacted families, community programs, and economic development in impacted communities. Those funds will be committed over multiple years. A source tells Bloomberg Deutsche Bank's plan to overhaul the company's securities arm could cost as much as 5 billion euros. Financial Times says the expenses may tip the German lender into a loss this year. And a fire at a Jim Beam bourbon factory in Kentucky has destroyed about 45,000 barrels, potentially causing hundreds of millions of dollars in lost spirits. The spirits that went up in flames were, quote, relatively young whiskey, according to a spokesman for the parent company, Beam Suntory. Uh, In an email, they say, quote, given the age of the lost whiskey, the fire will not impact the available of Jim Beam for customers. That is the latest from the news desk. Uh, Guy Johnson, back to you now in London. That's a pretty incredible story. Like literally like setting fire to a petrol station or a refinery, but in this case, a distillery. 40,000 barrels. It's basically the same stuff. Um, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it really is, and you see the images. Just, it's, I'm, I'm not. I'm, t- I'm talking I'm, I'm about watching, it from a chemical I'm, point I'm of view, watching. not from a taste point of view. <laughs> okay, 
No, I'm talking just, about from just a before you go down that road. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not a drinker of hard alcohol. I like my beer. I like my wine. But it, I, I, got I am a lot usually of just before look. this show. A <laughs> couple, <laughs> yeah. couple of shots down. After guess, in my case, you? actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And just one final point. Can the American-sounding guy originally from the UK wishes two British colleagues a happy 4th of July? Is that appropriate? That's fine. Fair enough. I'm taking the day off. Cheers. So my mate, but I got to be an early Good luck Friday. With that. And I got to be an early Friday morning, but you got to be an early Friday morning too. So who am I to whine about that? Charlie, great to see you. Cheers. You too, mate. See you in about 22 minutes time. Guy, what a day. And amazing that people are still taking a long weekend. I surveyed my guests, the three of them I had around with me around, around the table on set today on TV. And I just said, are you coming to work Friday? Skeleton staff, what's it going to look like? Not coming in. Skeleton staff. Really fascinating, given the importance of this payrolls print. Pay, uh, payrolls could, uh, therefore, you would anticipate that you could get a bigger reaction around payrolls. You could get some gappiness. Yeah, I just wonder whether that's something actually we should prepare for, um, because I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a huge number. Um, I heard another interesting little bit of um, speculation earlier on that that basically, Judy Shelton's being put on the Fed to replace Powell. That, Ooh, that, I've not heard ca- that one. That that's what the positioning is beginning. That people are beginning to speculate that that if if the president was to downgrade Powell, that she could be the person that's coming in. She's very close to Cudlow, very close to the campaign. Basically, this is a this is a Trojan horse that's being put put to work. Going to find it hard to get confirmed, though, isn't she, Guy? I I agree. But I just think as a package, you just kind of wonder whether the two of them together might find it a little bit easier. I wonder whether there is a kind of barbell approach being delivered here. I, I, I appreciate they're confirmed separately, but I just wonder whether or not actually kind of putting these two together might be enough. And kind of, you, you could see the logic in that, and I've certainly heard that a little bit as well today. Alison McKay, Director of Investment Management at Firm Wealth, joins us. Um, what do you make of Christine Lagarde at the ECB? Uh, evening, gents. Yeah, I think um, a little bit surprised when I, I first heard it yesterday, but... Um, uh, I think there's uh, there's a lot of positives about it. She's she's well respected, and well regarded globally. Uh, she's got excellent communication skills, and, uh, uh, and you know, and when you consider the amount of countries that are, are required to to communicate with, that's always important. And I think that confidence has always been a key aspect of uh, uh, the ECB chair, and, and she's you know going to to bring that to. Uh, uh, to the table. Uh, she's got political skills, which I think she's going to need as well. Uh, and, um, you know, she's um, she's conscious of exactly what's going on in Europe. And, and I think you alluded to it in the, the sort of uh, the run-up to the show. Um, she's She's got the skill sets and abilities to handle problematic uh, financial uh, crises uh, globally um, over the last seven or eight years. Uh, so if things in Italy were to escalate, she's arguably going to be one of the best people around to, uh, to help manage that. I would agree with all of that. I think the challenge she's going to have is not going to be with other political leaders. It's going to be within the governing council. President Draghi was given a really hard time through his whole tenure with the likes of Jens Weidmann at the Bundesbank. Will she have the monetary policy experience to lean on to take on the likes of Jens Weidmann when the governing council is in one of those positions where it's 50-50, will she have the ability to get people to come on board to her point of view? And I think a lot of people would argue is that that's where she'd struggle, Guy. 
that is where she would struggle. And hopefully she doesn't have too many of those instances where she has to push through the governing council and get them behind her, because I think it's going to be quite difficult. She, she is a political character, though, by nature. Um, and I think she, as a result, is a consensus builder. And I think as a, I, kind of, I just think that that skill set will get her over the line. I think she's going to rely on Lane. I think she's going to lean heavily on Lane. Um, and I think, and I think the kind of combination of the two of them will will become a will become quite a force. I think. But I also, I, 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 I think what's really going on here is that we are migrating from monetary policy being the the kind of the lead force here to fiscal policy being the lead force here. And I just kind of, I feel that she is the right person to manage that migration. You can see it at the Fed as well. And I think coming back to the Judy Shelton kind of nomination, I think that's part and part of part and parcel of that story, because because monetary policy is tapped out. I, I I think we can all kind of uh, get our heads around that a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see John kind of whether or not she is the right person to make that migration, along with Ursula von der Leyen. This conversation will continue. Alistair McKay sticking alongside Guy Johnson and myself tomorrow. London gets to work. New York takes it off, and then we all join together again and look at the payrolls report. A lot more on that coming up. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. We are uh, also around the world on all of your Bloomberg devices. I say we, John Farrow's over in New York. I'm Guy Johnson, joining him here in London. U.S. equities are closing early today. Light volume is certainly a feature of the landscape, but down in terms of volume by around 20%. But the S&P is up by six-tenths of 1%, uh, earlier hitting intraday record highs, fresh record intraday highs. European equity markets broadly up around three-quarters of 1%. FTSE MIB, though, the real standout story, uh, up by 2.4%. Italian bonds are now trading less the 200 bips over Germany, the 10-year, uh, and we saw a, we're currently seeing a 25-bit move today on Italian BTPs. Alison McCabe from Firm Wealth is still with us. Um, would you be a buyer of BTPs at these levels? Uh, no. Um, uh, I, I think when we, we look at the Italian um, uh, bond market reaction, a, a lot of it's got obviously to, to do with p- political landscape and how that's maybe been changed somewhat in the last 24 hours. Um, I still look at the, the debt markets out there and the, 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 you know, the negative yielding debt that we've got besides the volume of it. Um, it feels to me like we're still going to have more of that increasing. Um, I think... Um, I think maybe with the Italian equity market, it's been a, a heck of a move today. Uh, but I just don't know that I feel that the, the, the sort of safety, security uh, investment opportunities are, are there. So it's, it's something we, we broadly have steered clear of. So, Al, when you sit around the investment committee with you and the rest of the team, where are you assuming risk to get income right now? Where does it come from? Because as I look at European corporate paper right now, the average yield at the moment is 50 basis points. Anywhere that's got a positive real yield is just getting eaten up. Where are you guys going for that? We, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, we, we, we've looked at, um, I guess, uh, when it comes to yields, we, we are, have still got a fairly sizable proportion of our portfolios in, in equity-facing uh, funds and, and, and direct equities, and there's a dividend yield aspect to that, which, quite frankly, um, when it comes to uh, attractiveness, we, we still think holds... Um, Look at the Swiss stock exchange.
exchange, for instance, um, that, 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 that's offering a fairly decent yield. Um, I don't think that the bond markets have, have given us the opportunity. It's a, it's a saturated market. Um, and, and we've still clear of that. And I've touched on this a few times. We, From a diversification point of view, a risk point of view, we've moved into sort of structured products and we're trying to utilize those rather than, than bond markets where, I guess, historically we would have, we would have looked. Um, in terms of the broader narrative, though, if we are heading into a world of greater fiscal policy, how does that change the narrative of, of how you would position a portfolio? If Europe is going to figure out a way of spending money at a, at a government level, I, I know the Italians want to, but the Germans don't, but, but let's say more broadly that happens. If the United States maybe has a, a very late cycle fiscal stimulus to try and keep the president in, in the White House, kind of how do I position for that? Well, we, we, have, we have rebalanced risk here um, in the last probably nine months or so because we were very heavily um, equity-weighted. And we, we've shifted that, but we still have a pretty sizable exposure to equities. Yes, from a timeline point of view, the equity market bull run has, has had a real decade-long move. But a lot of the underlying data we're seeing, it's, it's not awful uh, out there, and it's not quite the catalyst um, that, we're, we, that is making us really aggressively change portfolios. Throw into the mix that central banks globally seem to be on a you know, interest rate cutting and potentially stimulus mode, um, it, it has begged the question of, are we going to see this, this last leg, this last hurrah of the equity markets maybe be a little bit more fulfilling than we thought it might be, say, six months ago? Let's talk about the economic data next, shall we? We had the ISMs from the United States through the week, the manufacturing and non-manufacturing ISM. Very interesting reading on the ADP report as well. The ADP report breaking down small, medium-sized and large companies. The small companies in the ADP report shedding jobs for a second straight month. A little bit more on that a little bit later. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAV Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson in London. I'm Jonathan Farrow here in New York City as we close out the trading day in New York. The close 42 minutes away for equities, an early close ahead of the July 4th Independence Day holiday here in the United States. The bond market closing at 2 p.m. local, so that's 7 p.m. in London. Equities right now a little bit firmer, up a little more than six-tenths of 1%. In the equity market in London, we close higher by 0.66% on the FTSE 100. Big moves in the bond market, starting with Treasury yields lower by two basis points to 195 on a 10-year. The lowest level since 2016, though way off the lows of that year. Some real big moves lower a couple of years back. Two-year yields, 176, unchanged on the session, but the big moves reserved for Europe and Italy specifically. Wow, what a couple of days 
Three days we've had in the Italian bond market. We're down around about 50 basis points in three trading sessions in Italy alone this week. 158 your yield on an Italian 10-year and two-year paper, negative seven basis points and down nine basis points on the session. In the FX market, the shape of things as follows in G10. The dollar just a little weaker through the session, but as the session grows older, we get some of that back. The euro now negative by not even a tenth of 1%. The underperformance through the session has come from sterling against the backdrop more broadly of a weaker dollar. The pound still underperforming, cable down by two-tenths of 1%. The pound against the US dollar, one pound, buying you $1.2565. Got to talk about the economic data, a gauge of US service industries dropping more than forecast in June to the weakest level in around about two years. The number's still okay at 55.1, down from 56.9. This is the non-manufacturing index. And according to an institute for support, Supply management, the survey out earlier this morning here in New York. But, Guy, the concerns are there. The employment element of it dropping by the most in 16 months. New orders declining to the lowest level since December 2017. You put the new orders together with the manufacturing ISM from earlier in the week. And it is looking a little bit shaky. The concerns, regardless of the fact that the non-manufacturing PMI ISM is still at 55.1, the concerns are that the weakness in manufacturing starts to bleed into services. Yeah, this is so. This has been the concern for a while now, hasn't it? And you and I have talked about it. Are we going to start to see it feeding across? And and you've had policymakers talking about this as well and voicing their concerns. It's been a slow creeping story that we have watched. If it comes into the services sector, then I think basically you can pretty much guarantee a recession next year. Um, it's been the services sector that's been carrying the global economy of late. The manu- when did the manufacturing slowdown start? Six months ago, maybe even longer. Maybe even that. longer than that, guy. Yeah, and I think um, it's been a decent year. It's been at least twelve months of weakness in China and Europe, and the hopes on the ECB was that it would be idiosyncratic and temporary through the third yep. quarter. Then it carried on through Q4, and just crept into the whole of 2019 so far as well. What's interesting to me is how late the policymakers are to all of this. Remember President Draghi going into the back half of last year, I think it was in the third quarter in and around September, when he said that the Q3 weakness would be temporary. There was no back, there was no bounce back in Q4 whatsoever in Europe, and certainly very little evidence of a bounce back through 2019 so far as well. Looking at the jobs data here in the United States, some really conflicting data points that we can talk about as the show progresses. The ADP report come out with a nice breakdown of small-sized companies and what they're doing on the jobs front. Small companies, so this is employees, fewer than 49, shedding jobs for two straight months now, and it's the really small companies where the pain seems to be at. I'm wondering whether that rolls up, whether that's temporary. So that's something to keep an eye on. But that hasn't started to feed through to a pickup in initial jobless claims. So there's a little bit of tension between those two data points at the moment. All ahead of a payrolls report that you would think, Guy, is one of the most important payroll reports in quite a while because it's the final one before a lot of people assume the Federal Reserve will cut rates at the end of this month. And the scale of the rate cut, if it's not about if, it's about how much, the scale of the rate cut could be shaped by what the jobs report looks like on Friday. And yet people aren't going to be at work because there's a holiday tomorrow. Alistair McCaig, um, does that mean we're going to get more volatility? Does that mean we're going to see... How busy could Friday be? Yeah, you're you're right. um, Historically, Friday's always, uh, on the 5th, has always been a a quieter quieter day. Um, And... um, 
I'd expect we'd see an escalation of, uh, of whatever market reaction we get will be hyperextended, if you will, um, on the back of the, the thinness of the volume out there. Um, uh, I'll be in the office myself on Friday and Thursday, for that matter. So I'll be here to watch it. I, I think, uh, is that going to be a, a key driver to, to deciding exactly how much of a cut we, we see coming out of the Fed? Be a, somewhat worrying if, if they decide that close to uh, the deadline. Well, let's uh, talk about that. Shifting. Let's talk about that. I caught up with Steve Englander of Standard Chartered earlier today. He runs FX Strategy over there. And I said to him, if we get a below 100K print, does that move the cut from 25 to 50 basis points? And he said it may well could do. What are your thoughts on that, Al? I don't like the idea that, uh, you know, that one data point, um, which we know has, because non-trust payrolls is, is correlated so quickly at month's end, we know that the revisions can always be, can, can sometimes be quite extreme. I'm not sure I, I find that a, a comfortable mentality that that can be the piece of key data that dictates whether we're talking 25 or 50 basis points. That just doesn't seem like the, the right thing um, to me. Mm, yeah, we, we thought it might be the um, the trade narrative and whether or not the Osaka meeting kind of generated a clear outcome one way or the other, but I'm not sure it did. I think it basically just generated a status quo situation uh, and as a result of which they didn't have a a strong bearing you would have thought at a headline level on the Fed thinking. But if you extrapolate that, maybe actually the Fed is worried about the direction of travel and the fact that we didn't go backwards. We may not have gone forwards, but the fact that we didn't go backwards uh, may be a factor in all of this. Uh, Al, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Alistair McKay joining us from Fern Wealth, joining us from Switzerland. John, the, uh, the equity market's getting ready to close over in the United States. Um, equity market's continuing to rally at the same time with the bond market. You wonder which one is going to crack first. Yep, you do. And whether this can continue for a whole lot longer than some people think it can. Well, we can talk about the defensive nature of this equity market rally in the United States. Maybe the headline number is a little bit misleading. A very defensive move in this S&P 500 with some really rich valuations for the most defensive parts of the market. That's next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. John Furrow in New York. I'm Guy Johnson joining him here in London. The S&P will close in half an hour's time. We're trading 29.92. We're up by six tenths of percent. European markets up by similar amounts. Well, apart from the FTSE MIB, down in Italy up by 2.4%, driven by a significantly lower Italian bond market yield, down by 25 bits today. An incredible move. Trading now under 200 basis points over the German 10-year we also had a little bit of a president. Uh, we also had a bit of a tweet from the president earlier on. You can find these on NI Trump tweets on your on your Bloomberg, talking about the fact that China and Europe are using their currency uh, to make themselves more competitive against the United States. John, what did you make of that? Is that going to have? Is that just part of a, a, an ongoing narrative? Does it actually have any teeth to it? Do you think? I've got no idea, guys. So hard to guess all of this stuff at the moment. A lot of people have sent me random stories through today that I've been trying to get my head around. I think it's just so difficult to get your hands around every single piece of information, every story at the moment, because it's coming at you from all different directions. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think this is this is part of something that... I, I, I think this is aimed at the Fed. I don't think it's aimed at the Europeans. I think this is okay. aimed at the Fed. And I think it's part of the, the nominations that we've seen as well. Uh, 
two more super doves. I think the president is basically trying to fix the Achilles heel of his trade narrative, which is that he needs the economy to keep going and he needs the Fed to cut rates as a result. You really, we'll do, you really do think that this could be a game changer at the Fed with these two nominations, don't you? Well, I think I just think it's part of a wider. I think it's part of a wider narrative. The president's been ongoing about his concerns surrounding the Fed's uh, lack of rate cutting. He's he's talked about Draghi being the man that we need. He's talked about the fact that the Chinese are cutting rates. Uh, t- today's tweet kind of fits with that narrative as well. He's nominating two super doves. Um, but on the yeah, currency think- specifically, guy, just on the currency specifically. He does have the power to do something about that if he likes. It's the Treasury in control of the yeah. currency market policy. Yeah. If he wants to intervene in the FX market, just imagine if he said to the Treasury Secretary right now, go and intervene in the FX market. Just the mere signal of Secretary Mnuchin yeah. doing that would crash the dollar. We'd have a massive move. But he doesn't necessarily want to do that. I think, I think what he's signaling is that he wants the Fed to cut rates. Um, the U.S. is a relatively closed economy. A weaker dollar is going to have some effect, but it's not going to have that big an effect. Cutting rates is going to have a bigger effect, and I think that's what he's after. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, and I think, as a result of which, that's why he is. Like Waller, Waller is a classic kind of Fed guy, but he's coming from the St. Louis Fed, which is which is uber dovish. Um, Shelton is 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 uber dovish as well. You just kind of you could see everything moving in that direction. So I got a really interesting email. I mentioned about the stories that I was getting sent left, right and centre and it's slightly associated with the story you've mentioned because the email was about a story in the South China Morning Post and it was about the United States putting import duties on more than 400% on Vietnamese steel to prevent companies exploiting a loophole. And it just made me think, I wonder if some of the currency issues are going to be aimed at Vietnam. And I wonder whether the next trade issue will also be aimed at Vietnam because of some of these companies that have shifted production from China to Vietnam. So, Guy, to your point, to go back to the original question, do all of these things kind of tie together? I think they do. And I'm just kind of wondering how it will be shaped into one policy, something a little bit more coherent, perhaps, in the next couple of quarters. Yeah. Um be nice to have some some sort of coherent thoughts and sort of well everything tying together mike mckee's waiting in a around to do that fit. for us He's charlie pellet you're, you're assuming thoughts. i have any coherent thoughts charlie <laughs> let's let's go to charlie first then we'll All get right. mike McKee. here's what's going on let us begin with the uk economy probably shrank for the first time since 2012 in the second quarter as brexit uncertainty and fears for the global outlook took their toll on output in june according to ihs market The report comes a day after Bank of England Governor Mark Carney warned of damage to the global economy from rising protectionism, adding that the UK faces the additional threat of a no-deal Brexit on business investment. Boeing says it'll offer $100 million to support the families of victims and others affected by the recent crashes of its 737 MAX jetliner. Netflix says it's creating a production hub at Pinewood's Shepperton Studios just outside London. And if you didn't know that it's okay to bet on who gets the top job at the IMF. Bank of England Governor Mark Carney is the favorite to replace Christine Lagarde as Managing Director of the IMF. This according to the online oddsmaker Betway. The Canadian, due to leave the BOE in January, is placed at 7-2 to to get the IMF job. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you. Assume it's a done deal, don't we? Guy, do we just assume it's a done deal? The Parliament just pushes this one through? Uh, yeah, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You'd think I'm just so. trying to think. Yeah, what, what would hold the IMF? Up? Well, what would hold what would hold Draghi up from, from not Draghi? What would hold Lagarde up, Michael McKee, from 
from getting confirmed. One candidate, one nomination through to Parliament, rubber stamp, off she goes, right? Uh, I don't see why the Brits would oppose her, but um, she didn't take part. She didn't vote, I guess, take part in the uh, European elections, and so therefore there may be some resentment um, of her on that score. Uh, and she's French, and you know, that's all you have to say sometimes to other people in Europe. I don't mean to, to disparagingly, but let's just say uh, the Italians had already made it plain. They weren't uh, on board with a a French-German division of the top jobs. Now, whether they've been won over behind the scenes, yeah, really yeah, Mike, you bring up a really good point, and Guy and I started the show on it, just as to whether the Italians got what they wanted in another way. There's some real suspicion that maybe the commissioners backed off from the debt issue, sure, because because the Germans and the French got what they wanted, at the and they did the, the fig leaf of cutting back on their budget deficit. So you know, everybody. Everybody get everybody, everybody has every, a, all the big economies win this week in Europe. That's back, rare. You go back to Joseph Heller and catch twenty two Milo Minderbiter. Everybody has a share. Carney at the IMF. That's interesting as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the question is, what does Mark Carney want to do with the rest of his life? There's been a yeah. lot of talk about him entering Canadian politics, and that would kind of um, put that idea aside. So. You know, which which job does he want? And also, you know, that the IMF job, tough job in itself, but it's constant travel. Do you want that? Well, at least Carney can now do a news conference and say inconsequential things. Exactly. Whereas when he makes mistakes now, it doesn't really matter. You know, if he goes to the IMF, he, he can say the storm clouds on the horizon <laughs> and we'll all sit there going, thanks, Mark. Well, you know, it, it would be a funny reversal because people at the major central banks don't listen to the IMF head that's, when that's, they're telling them what, what to do. And neither so do market a, participants. Carney didn't listen to, to Lagarde, <laughs> and now Lagarde won't and listen to And now Lagarde will go to the ECB, and she will have the opposite yeah. problem. She will go into a news conference, and she won't be able to say quite eloquently and articulately that there are storm clouds on the horizon, right. because that will mean something very, very different to the audience listening. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how each adapts. It's Yeah. She's 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 been pushed around by the markets as well, don't you think? I I the similarities between her and Powell, I think, are, are go more go beyond them both being lawyers. Yeah, but I think um, Powell has proven, and and we've seen it in other places, that you don't need to be a PhD economist to run the central bank, especially the ECB. And I think of the ECB as a separate case because you've got uh, instead of one monetary policy for different parts of an economy that's one economy, um, which, you know, Alabama may grow faster or slower than North Dakota. But when you have Greece uh, falling off the map and another country, Germany, growing quickly, you know, then it's a political problem as well as a monetary problem. So Michael McKee. being a politician helps. It's going to be sticking with us. Next up on the program, we'll break down some of the economic data and have a look ahead to Payrolls Friday. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on both sides of the Atlantic. John Farrow over in New York. I'm Guy Johnson joining him here in London. President Trump picking two new names to fill the gaps over at the Fed. So we've got Christopher Waller, um, pretty conventional. Uh, he's director of research at the St. Louis Fed. Pretty dovish. Judy Shelton, though, is pretty interesting. Like EBRD backgrounds, been outside mainstream economics for a while. Likes gold. Likes gold. That's interesting. 
uh, doesn't believe the Phillips curve is in any way relevant to modern economics. Um, anyway, she's also been an advisor to the president, and she's pretty close to Cudlow. Still with us, Mike McKee, international economics and policy correspondent here at Bloomberg. Mike, what do you make of these nominations? Well, the president is clearly trying to put his political stamp on things and in a little bit smarter way than he had done before. Um, the uh, Christopher Waller nomination, I think, is kind of a masterstroke in that uh, Jim, I agree. Jim Bullard has been the dove. And he has this philosophy that uh, we have a monetary policy economy regime uh, where inflation and unemployment and growth are all in a certain area. And unless they break out of that area, there's no need to change monetary policy. Well, who's one of the architects of that regime idea? The research director at the St. Louis Fed, Christopher Waller. So if uh, you look at the dot plot and the bottom dot is always Jim Bullard, one would assume that he will have company at the bottom if Mr. Waller is is confirmed. How do you get to Jim Bullard's on the Fed? You yeah. basically nominate the guy beneath him. I just wonder, Jim Bullard confirmed that he was interviewed for this job or at least approached for this role. He was approached, yeah. I wonder whether he pushed forward Mr. Waller himself. Well, he may have put forward the idea. Um Jim says he's happy with what he's doing, which may be the case, but I would also point out that central bank uh, regional presidents are paid market rates for their area, and I think Jim Bullard makes something like uh, like $367,000 a year. You get paid and more being a regional Fed, Fed president. Fed governors get 183000 so yeah. Bullard would have had to take more than a half pay cut to have the same job, essentially, that he has now. It's interesting how that comes into play. What do you make of uh, Judy Shelton? Well, I think there is a sort of um, throwing out something to the base, uh, to the strong conservatives out there, and at the same time getting somebody who is outspoken in her support of Donald Trump. I thought it was very interesting, the statement she put out yesterday on hearing she would be nominated, saying that... uh, this president's economic policy should not be torpedoed by people who think the Phillips curve applies and uh, stand in the way of further growth and progress. Um, to Alice even more a little bit, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, but you don't say that when you've just been nominated. Uh, you know, yeah. you say thank you very much if you say anything, and I look forward to talking to members of the Senate Banking Committee. So she's already uh, s- signaled that she is going to bring politics into the boardroom which is anathema for the Fed. And I think she will either have to walk that back in her confirmation hearing or face some problems. Uh, but it's definitely a political pick. I mean, what, what, ironically, one of the president's failed nominees was Herman Cain. And when he ran for president, his chief economic advisor was Judy Shelton. Did not know that. Is that do you think she is- could be the next Fed president? So do you think she could be the next Fed chair? Because I've heard... At least two people today tell me that she is, if you believe that the president is looking to downgrade the current chair, he needs somebody else to put in his place. That can't be Clarida. Could it be her? Well, he can't downgrade Powell, and that would create a huge legal fight. And I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's one of those things that... The president likes to bring up and then the press likes to ask him about it and the story keeps bouncing around, but it doesn't really 
go forward. Where it comes into play would be if Donald Trump were reelected and if Judy Shelton were confirmed and if she did an okay job. A lot of apes here. Yeah, then yeah. when Powell's term is up, she could be appointed. But that there's a long way before we get I to I think that. we can all get on, on, on the one side of the debate that it's very unlikely Chairman Powell's going to get a second term. Well, if, if Donald if, Trump if, is president. If President yeah. Donald Trump gets a second term himself. Yeah. Guys, we'll continue the conversation. Looking ahead to the rest of this week. Ahead, still ahead. Payrolls Friday. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable. Live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio, you are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow. Twelve minutes away from an early close in New York City, ahead of a holiday tomorrow, and just around the corner with Payrolls Friday coming up quickly upon us in the equity market. This is what we look like in New York City. The S&P 500 up six-tenths of 1%. In London, the FTSE 100 closing firmer by 0.66%. Two days, two record high closes on the S&P 500. And we're set to add some weight on it. Just a hair away from 3,000 points on the S&P 500. Quite remarkable, this rally, through a wall of doubt, never mind a wall of worry. Outside of that, in the bond market, Treasuries with a bid yields lower by two basis points at 195. In Germany, what a story it's been for the German bond market. Yields almost negative 40 basis points and sitting on top of the ECB deposit rate. We are down negative 0.39% on a German 10-year and down two basis points on the session. And the rally in the 30-year, leaving you with a yield of just 20 basis points in German now on th- Germany on 30-year paper, down four basis points on the session. That was Guy and I have gone back and forth on all through today and the last couple of days, just this monster rally in the Italian bond market, down 25 basis points on 10-year paper today to 158 on a 10-year, on a two-year, negative seven basis points and down nine basis points at the front end of the curve on the session. In the FX market, just to give you a feel of what's been happening in G10, the euro unchanged. It was firmer. The dollar making a bit of a comeback later on in the session. Euro dollar now going nowhere. Sterling coming back just a little bit. It has been the underperformer against the majors through the whole day this Wednesday. Today, we are down by just a tenth of 1% now at 125.78. And to round things out for you in the commodity market, crude looking a little something like this. Positive 1.6% on WTI to uh, $56.82, up a little more than one percentage point. On Brent, $63.38, up by around about 1.6%. The story to watch for the days ahead, Thursday, expect the volume to be lighter. In the second half of the session, New York will not be here. It is a day off in America, so the markets are closed. The equity market closing in 10 minutes, the bond market closing in one hour, 10 minutes here in New York. Then tomorrow, it's your main event. It is Payrolls Friday in the United States. It is the final payrolls report ahead of a big Fed decision at the end of this month. The estimates shaping up as follows. 162 is your median estimate in our Bloomberg survey, up from a mere soft, pathetic 75K in the previous month, Guy. Yeah, I. Even if we get a number like that, is it a disaster? Like, I'm just wondering what. How will the market react to a repetition of last month? Mike yeah. McKee, I don't think there's any question the market would uh, jump out the window. I mean, looking for 50 basis points, Mike. Exactly. They, you know, they would price that back in. What's interesting if you got a number along the lines in isolation, along the lines of what ADP forecast, the Fed would tell you. Well, that's kind of what we've been expecting because we've 
been adding more jobs than uh, necessary. Uh, we've been pulling people back into the labor force. We, we're meeting the, the needs of the labor force, and it should slow down, especially as we run out of people to hire. And so they would not be as upset, but the market may be forcing them into thinking that that is a sign that the economy is rolling over. And that may yeah. be behind kind of why Loretta Mester was saying she'd like to see several more months worth of data rather than just the two, but I don't think she's going to get a choice. And as we speak, the NASDAQ 100 rising to an all-time intraday high. Just how self-limiting will this rally be? There's some people that think this is very circular, Mike, that if the market goes too far, it's just a reason for the Federal Reserve to back off. And if the Federal Reserve backs off, the market comes back a bit. And in this very circular story that we can't get out of, your thoughts on well, that? Well, I think it's the bond market that people are concerned about. If yields keep falling, that pushes the Fed to do something. Yep. The equity markets are a concern for the Fed about cutting rates because then they just further fuel what may be a bubble. And there are an awful lot of you know, well-known money managers out there who are starting to get nervous about the level of equities at this point in general and, and whether this is overdone. And so... Uh, it there, would be one part of their consideration. Of, there is one school of thought that basically says that the equity market is being driven by exactly the same story as the bond market is. Because if, if you take a look at the complexion of the equity market move, and the NASDAQ maybe is a slight sort of differentiator here, but nevertheless, broadly, bond-like stocks are leading the charge at the moment. I, utilities in Europe are valued at kind of trailing PE circa 20. Banks are kind of around sort of 5, 6. I, the, 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 the auto sectors are kind of seven. So the kind of the cyclical stocks are underperforming and are lowly valued relative to the to the highly valued bond like proxy. So you kind of wonder whether or not there's some differentiation there that, that isn't actually a, a reality. What do you make of that, Mike? I think that's a good argument. And uh, it's a little different in the US. Uh, because of the impact that uh, negative rates are having on banks in Europe. Um, it's not as bad in the United States. And people have said, if the Fed cuts rates, you want to be getting into financials here. But in, in general, it, you would want to see, if if the equity markets were actually reflecting what they thought the Fed were was going to do besides give them free money, uh, you would expect to see the, the stocks like utilities do well. Coming to work Friday, you going to be in? I'm going Making an to appearance? be in Washington. You'll be in the lockup for, for the payrolls report. lockup for the payrolls report, yes. Lock him up. Um, wait a minute. You running for president? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be fun. It'll, uh, well, for a half hour, I'll know something you, you know won't what? know. In, in the UK, I don't think people realize just how hot Washington, D.C. gets in the summer. It is, it is in oh, the south. Yeah. It is swamp-like. It is. It's, it's supposed to be something like 95 on Friday wow. with 90% humidity. I saw an interesting... Uh, story to take you in a completely different direction uh, from the Washington Post today that said uh, tomorrow night's Trump spectacular has one potential drawback. What's that? The possibility of extreme thunderstorms oh, really? during the fireworks because it's going to be so hot and humid that, you know, that's what happens. You get thunderstorms at the end of the day in Washington. So Tanks on the streets of D.C. Um, but on, yeah, on trailers, Guy, apparently, trailers, because yeah. they're not coming off the trailers. No, they're yeah. worried that they'll rip up the tarmac. That's what I hear. Yeah. That is that is uh, true. This is sixty tons. I mean, they're gonna. You know, <laughs> and if it's they hot, would do some damage. melts. And if anyone who's been to Washington D.C. and witnessed the state of some of the roads, it's unsurprising. Well, you walk on the asphalt there, and it melts under your feet. It gets so hot. You can imagine what a tank would do. Mike, stay safe. Good luck. We'll catch up with you on Friday, guy. I'll catch up with you on Friday too. No show tomorrow. No. Nope. We will get a day off for Independence Day. 
So we'll catch up Friday. Good Happy luck. Happy birthday, America. To you all out there ahead of Payrolls Friday. And if you're taking a long weekend, enjoy. Goodbye.